Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, May 24, 2016. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 5, How It Works. We'll start out with the first paragraph on page 64 for context. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory, and we will then read and comment on the following paragraphs. We did exactly the same thing through to we considered its common manifestations. Today's readers are Roxanne T., Ruth C., Devorah S., Larry K., and Martha Z. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, May 23, 2016, is 8761. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Roxanne T. to read the 12 steps. Thank you for your service, Rebecca. My name is Roxanne T., recovered in New York. These are the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrong. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 
Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Roxanne T. I will now ask Ruth C. to read the 12 traditions. Thank you, Rebecca. Good morning, all. This is Ruth C., a compulsive overeater from Atlanta, the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never to be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you for allowing me to share, to do service in our path. Thank you, Ruth C. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topics. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book with the first paragraph on page 64. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. 
which is being read for context only. We'll continue on with reading and commenting on the following paragraph. We did exactly the same thing through to we considered its common manifestations. I will now ask Devorah S. to begin reading. Thank you, Rebecca. Good morning, everyone. This is Devorah S. in New Jersey, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Thank you, God. Therefore, we started upon a personal inventory. This was step four. A business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. It is an effort to discover the truth about the stock in trade. One object is to disclose damaged or, or unsalable goods, to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. We did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us, we considered its common manifestations. Okay, so I asked myself, what are these flaws in my makeup? What is it? And, you know, I turn back to page 62, and it says to me, selfishness, self-centeredness. That, we think, is the root of our trouble, um, driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity. We step on the toes of our fellows, and they retaliate. Um, so, you know, when I, honestly, when I came into this program, I wasn't looking to fix myself. You know, I was looking to lose 150 pounds and get on my merry way and I'll be done. Thank you very much. But, you know, as I stuck around, um, because they all kept saying, stick around until a miracle happens. Yeah, I lost the weight and it was great and it was wonderful. But I was still feeling restless, irritable, and discontented. discontented and I didn't understand why until I, until I went through this process. Um, and when it got to this part of you know, searching out my flaws, um, I had to search out my flaws. And it was, you know, that selfishness. I didn't know how selfish I was until I started um, do, looking at myself honestly. And, um, you know, it began with, you know, not pointing the finger at you, but keeping the eyes on me. Um, where I had to, I made a list of all the people that I was resentful at. And from there on, I looked at it and saw my part in it. Because it was my part in it that got the ball rolling, that got me resentful, why I became resentful at these people. It was where, where I saw what I wanted out of these people. And the lies I told myself about these people. And my self-seeking behavior that I acted on because the way I was thinking. Um, and then, of course, the fear. So all these things all together made up these, um, these, these flaws in me that got me more and more, got, got the sick blow rolling. And, you know, I'm just imagining in my head, like one of these big, you know, uh, uh, um, 
a rock that just keeps rolling down the hill and then it becomes bigger and bigger because more rocks become, you know, connected to it. And then there's this big boulder and you just can't stop it. And that was me because I had so much stuff within me and these so much anger and resentment and and it was all because of 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 me. And this program is about ego reduction and how do I you know, the only way that I can reduce that ego is by um, doing this inventory and seeing my part in things. And this is something that I have to, excuse me, this is something that I need to keep up. It's not just a one-shot deal that I do with this one time in step four, but this is, the, this is the, the work that I do each day because, you know, yes, I am recovered, but it doesn't, it's, it's, it's a very slow process. I'm never going to be perfect. I'm not an angel. And these things come up throughout the day. But today I have the tools where I can um, work it out and call another person and discuss it and pray on it and see. And I don't have to let it get into that big boulder which is going to, um, you know, roll into everybody's lives and, 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 and keep at it and keep going. Um, so really grateful for the tools of this program and for the directions here in the book. You know, another thing I just want to say is that I'm so grateful that this step four comes here on page 64 and not in the doctor's opinion or not in Bill's story because I would not have known what to do with it. Um, and, you know, I know that there are people who want to, some people want to shunt away from it. They don't want to do it. And there are people who say, well, when are we going to get to it? When are we going to get to it? You know, it happens when it happens. I had to be ready for this. I had to be, you know, in all areas. The food had to be down, and and I couldn't just get into it when I was, was still eating, um, you know. And so, you know, there was a time and place for it. And, and, I, and so I'm really grateful that it happens when it happens here. And I don't have to just, and, you know, and it goes in the order that it's supposed to be in. Um, so with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Devorah S. Who else would like to share on that second paragraph on 64? Barbara B. I heard Barbara B. Nessa R. Nessa R. Anyone else? Sherry S. Okay. Did you say Sherry S.? Correct. Sherry S. Okay, Barbara D., go right ahead. Okay, thank you. This is Barbara B., Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Massachusetts. And right off the bat, my eyes are going to, and my mind is going to being convinced, being convinced. Well, when I came to the program, I was convinced that there is no way that self was the cause of all my misery and my food addiction and my behaviors because I was such a victim of, oh, my mother did this, she didn't do that, my father didn't do that, then it, as it went on, my kids, my boss, you know, the Board of Education, it was never self because I got so little of myself, I couldn't have even tolerated any kind of a, a look, an honest look at my part in it. It was only because I had 
said, relieve me of the bondage of self. And that was my prayer just because I was told to do it. I was doing it. So I had to really come to be convinced that, you know, with doing this inventory process, I was going to have to say, yeah, I reacted to this. I got into feeling sorry for myself. I didn't know how to deal with the realities of life. And what an awakening, what an eye-opening process that inventory was. And it was really the words and the life of other people that convinced me. If it was working for them, I'm going to do it because certainly what I did wasn't working. So let me be open and become convinced and therefore the giving over to the process. And as they kept saying, trust the process, trust the process. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Barbara B, not B. Nessa R. Hi, good morning. This is Nessa R, a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. I also wanted to share on this um, phrase, being convinced of self, uh, because all the work that I've been doing so far in steps one, two, and three, have hopefully led me to be convinced that I am the manufacturer of my own misery, that my um, stubborn efforts to arrange life to suit myself, um, you know, to play God in my life or to try to play God in my life and in other people's lives is what has caused, you know, all the all the misery that I'm experiencing and that those around me are experiencing. And so I am more than willing to go ahead with the rest of the process as a result. And how has this manifested itself? You know, it, it, it's, uh, there's three manifestations, resentment, fear, and sex harms caused to others. Because in the pursuit, in the blind pursuit of my little plans and designs, Um, I really have not considered others. I have bulldozed my way to other people's people's lives, trying to impose my views, to impose my values. And, of course, when nothing panned out or even backfired, I ended up resentful and fearful, and uh, I I harmed other people. Uh, Those are the three manifestations of of self, of self-will run riot. And now I have to say, okay, what is it within myself that have caused my failures? Um, but if somebody asks me, okay, you know, tell me what your flaws are, you know, I would say, I, I'm not flawed. I'm just a well-meaning person, you know, going through life, trying to make things better for me and for others. And if only people would do what I think they should be doing, I would be happier, they would be happier, the world would be so much better. And that's why I don't start this step, the, the inventory process looking at what are my own flaws. I start looking at the people who I'm mad at, the things I am fearful of. That is the starting point. I mean, I can definitely, without any trouble, sit down and write a long list of the people that I'm mad at and the fears that I have. Um, and then I go on from there. It's easier to start with the manifestations of self than it is to start dealing with the, with the, with the defects um, that cause um, our failure. And that's why, you know, we're going to start going through the instructions now of how to conduct the, uh, 
the moral inventory in the chart form, which is I find so easy to follow and so quick to complete. And it's not a daunting task that a lot of people make it out to. If we follow these instructions, we will very quickly go to sit down and conditions. Um, and I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Nessa R. Sherry S. Hi, this is Sherry S., compulsive overeater, recovered in Massachusetts. Um, this step four, what it means for me and my experience with it is um, I did take this step four when I first got sober and clean from drugs and I uh, went to a treatment center in 1986. And they threw the big book at us. And um, I think we did it in a group with um, people. It was not... Um, it was not the way that it's laid out in the big book. Everybody had their own ideas. Um, it was really flimsy. Um, I was newly sober. I was young, so it you know it just it wasn't done correctly. Um, you know, 22 years later, you know, I've been 30 years in um, AA sober, and 22 years later, I came to the big book because I was desperate, and um, and I did take that. Um, that fourth step. Of course, I was still eating. The food was up and down, up and down, up and down, but I did this with my AA sponsor, hoping that it would help me with my food. Um, little did I know that I had to, you know, stop eating in order for it to work. But when I did get abstinent finally um, from, you know, my binge foods, I took the step four and I did it with a sponsor and it, it just, it was so much different from all the other times that I had taken it. And how she started me out was, you know, get your food clean first, and then we, you know, then I practiced on cleaning my inventory. Um, and today, a result of that step four, and that was just the beginning, was I do a, a daily inventory. I do 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis. Um, my life depends on that. So, but it all started here. Um, and I had to take a right, you know, I have to take a regular inventory. It says a business takes, which takes no regular inventory, usually goes broke. And that is for sure the way it is for me because I remember last summer I did stop taking um, a daily inventory, you know, and that's getting into step 10, so I don't want to get into that. But, um, you know, and uh, my store fell apart. I did go broke, you know, I broke my abstinence. And I, you know, found myself in the refrigerator again. So, um, I take this very seriously, and um, yeah, it's just, it, it's, you know, once you get that resentment list, uh, the grudge list going, it's, um, you know, all kinds of things open up for you. But I was really afraid to do this step four, but I heard, heard yesterday somebody said you should be afraid not to do step four, and I totally believe that. You should be afraid not to do step four because the store will fall apart without this. And I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry S. Would anyone else like to share on this paragraph before we move on? Charles H. Ruth M. I heard Charles H. (laughs) And Ruth M. Uh, Nancy R. Oh, and Nancy R. Was there someone else? Nadia B. Nadia B. Okay. All right, Charles H., Ruth M., Nancy R., Nadia B., Charles H., go right ahead. 
Charles, we don't hear you. Are you available? Hello? Hi, Charles. Hi, this phone, man. You know, these smartphones are so smart. They get stupid when you get <laughs> when they get next to some H2O, but uh, I apologize for that. Charles H. recovered compulsive overeater just for today, and thank you for your service, Rebecca. Um, So I had a thought. I was reading, uh, I was on my way to a, a, a meeting last night in uh, my part of town, and uh, we was reading the, uh, Dr. Bob's Nightmare. Um, it, 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 it gave me a, a perception, like it reinforced where we're at right now in the work, in the book, um, where, where, where I could identify in. Um, I was scared like everybody else when I first did it, um, but I, I could identify in when, when and Dr. Bob was saying he was trying to act everybody, analyzing the whole, you know, how, you know, analyzing it, like trying to get to the finish line. And if I, if I could get to the finish line, I wouldn't even be, I wouldn't even be uh, on this line by myself. Can't do it by myself. So if I have a message to the newcomer, don't analyze this because you, 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 you're blocking your blessing, you're blocking your recovery because there's some things in us that needs to come up. We need to vomit that thing out. I don't want to say purge I'm sorry for saying it like that, but my body needs to be purged of these fears and these, and these resentments and, these, and, and, and self, self itself. I think somebody shared about it, page 62. I'm thinking about myself too much. I need to be doing this work for somebody else. And then in, in return, I will get that blessing. It says it right on the first page in, in, um, from hopeless to uh, recovered um, on the first page in the doctor's opinion. You know, um, that, from that word hopeless to recovered, one, a recovered person told me to draw a line from there, right? Commence to work with others. And, and, and stress them that they must work with others. They can't see it right there, right? But these are the things that's going to, like, if you want to do uh, esteemable things, if you want self-esteem to build, you need to do esteemable things. I mean, I, 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 I'm going to shut down with this. I made an amends to that Mount Kisco meeting because I, I'm just giving you an example. I, I, you know, not that I didn't have the money, but I seen an air freshener, went to the bathroom, and I stole it. And that meeting was packed last night, and I didn't do it for no likes or love. I did it because that's what the program told me to do. It. I put extra money in. A, I put extra money in. I said, "Look, I, I, I owe this group an amends because I stole your air freshener." Now people were laughing and clapping. They clap for everything in Westchester. You can say, you know, you've been binging for five years, and they clap it. So I, I, that's a Westchester thing. But my thing is, I clean my side of the street every single day. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Charles H. Ruth M. And thank you. This is Ruth M., compulsive overeater in recovery for today. Um, I've just recently started participating in vision meetings, and meetings are so important that the reading, we get something from the reading, and we also get something from what other people comment. One of the things that I got from the comments is the reminder that through this program, I discovered that at least 51% of the pain in my life I caused myself. Probably more than that, but the majority of the pain in my life I caused myself. And that came, I came to that realization through work in the fourth and fifth steps. Um, 
as I listened to the reading today, it talks about we searched out the flaws in our makeup which caused our failure. And I just want to acknowledge to everybody here today that I have an issue dealing with customer service. I lose my temper. Customer service is not necessarily good. They're not necessarily informed. They don't necessarily listen well. They sometimes talk with accents I can't understand. But my losing my temper with them is not their fault. It is a flaw in my makeup which causes my failure. And I don't have a way to do direct amends, so the best I can do is acknowledge that failure to you all today. Thanks for listening, and I pass. Thank you, Ruth M. Nancy R. Hi, thank you. Good morning. My name is Nancy R. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm really grateful to my higher power for leading me to Overeaters Anonymous many, many years ago. When I, uh, I'm still learning, I am still learning about my flaws, my character defects, and uh, sometimes they're down and they can resurface. This program has taught me how to get in touch with them. I uh, initially came to OA like most of us, thinking that food was my problem. And uh, this program has taught me that living was my problem. I didn't know how to live. I had been taught to be a good girl. My father was a pastor. I was a good girl, and certainly um, I, had, I, had, I had followed the, uh, the uh, prescription. I had done everything right, and yet uh, I was over 300 pounds and miserable. So this, when I began to uh, do the inventory and look at my, begin to look at myself and my part in it, and uh, discovering that I didn't know how to deal with uh, these emotions. My life began to change, and even today, I have to take stock of what is, what is it that I'm feeling. I went to, uh, I'm a musician, I played for a funeral yesterday, and it was uh, for a friend's husband. I wasn't close to him, but when I came home, I just had this deep feeling in my gut, and I just stopped, and I had to take you know, an inventory, what are you feeling? What are you feeling? And I had to identify, you know, I had gone to a meeting, and I thought I was was fine with it. I was feeling very sad for my friend. Um, See, in the past, before recovery, food, uh, I learned very early in life that food would make me feel better. Food food would mask the symptoms. And uh, today, since uh, I... One day at a time, I didn't do that. I was feeling sad, a very normal reaction. So I'm so grateful um, for having gone through the inventory process so that when these life emotions surface, I can identify them, deal with them, and move on. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Nancy R. Nadia B. Good morning, everyone. This is Nadia B., grateful, recovered, compulsive reader in Connecticut. And I'm so grateful for this paragraph. And, you know, to tell you the truth, I don't know if I knew why I was doing the 
um, the four-step inventory when I was doing it, but, you know, grateful to know it today, why I still keep do it um, regularly. Um, and, you know, I think today as I understand backwards a little better and look at this um, part of our program, um, you know, um, I was fooling myself. Um, and, you know, I was playing peekaboo. I was playing, you know, what three-year-olds um, play. You know, I was closing my eyes and pretended that, you know, um, the flaws, that, that those, um, you know, defects didn't exist. And so, you know, what happened with that is that this way of dealing with its flaws really did not work, just like with the business. You know, if you don't do your inventory, um, you know, eventually you won't be able to find out what's missing and, um, you know, eventually you're going to be going broke. And that's where I was going. Um, you know, everything was failing in my life. I, um, you know, I was failing at my relationships, uh, my um, work was um, you know, suffering. I was struggling in every um, part of my life. And so, you know, at that point when I was going broke, I um, had to do something different this time. And, you know, being convinced um, of this, you know, defect of mine that, you know, I had to open my eyes. And that's what... Um, you know, this inventory press process is for. It's to give me a better view on what I have and don't have and why isn't it working, what I'm doing. And, you know, we're so similar, I think, um, as compulsive overeaters. And that's why we can help each other in this part because um, it is such a common manifestation with us. And um, thank you so much. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Nadia B. Why don't we move on? I will now ask Larry Kay to continue the reading with the last paragraph on page 64 that begins, Resentment is the number one offender and ends with, We were burned up at the top of page 65. Good morning. Good morning, Rebecca. Thanks so much for your service. Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Overeater um, from Chicago. Okay, resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease. For we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. We asked ourselves why we were angry. In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. Well, yeah, resentment um, is the number one offender. That um, certainly certainly was the case uh, for me. Um, let's start out with the word resentment. Um, resentment. Resentiment. Resentment. Resentiment. This means to refeel. 
See, that's why it's the number one offender. You see, the problem with resentment is that it can be displaced onto others, not necessarily involved in the original offense. And that was the problem for me. It was displaced onto others. For example, you know, when a mother withdraws love from her daughter, then the daughter might withdraw love from her little brother. And, and the little brother, in turn, might, might take out his resentment on, on other you know, boys in school. And see, when these boys you know, grow up, they might uh, pass their resentment on to their partners and to their children. Do you see the potential for the domino effect of disconnection with resentment? It is a domino effect of disconnection. And can you see why resentment is the catalyst for all forms of spiritual disease? That's what it tells us. It's the, you know, the, this is where all forms of spiritual disease lie. So we have to get this stuff down on paper in a comprehensive fashion. And we lose a lot of people here. They go out and they die. We need to, we need to list people, pr principles, um, institutions. The resentment is a noose around my neck and it's drowning me. And I cannot remove the resentment by myself. I must have God's help. And it's through the, the beginning part of this process, step four through nine, that is the practical program of action. The first three steps we do in preparation, but four through nine is where the change occurs. That's where the change began to occur in me. And the promises didn't come until I was in step nine. Uh, you know, about halfway through for me, that, that, that was true when I started that process. It doesn't come in four. But I had to get this stuff down because these resentments were killing me. And I couldn't think my way out of them. I couldn't read my way out of them. I couldn't intellectualize my way out of them. The bottom line was when I was with my mother, I felt intense, intense resentment. And no matter how much I could tell myself I shouldn't feel this or I'm justified in feeling this or I'm not going to feel this way, it, 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 it was there. It was there. And it was only through this process, starting with step four, not in step four, I wasn't given relief from that. I still did step four and five, and six, and I still felt the resentment. But I began to change. And can I tell you today, just wrapping up, I can be with my mother, and I don't feel the resentment. Not because you taught me not to feel that, because it was lifted. God lifted it. That's the bottom line. My higher power, my creator lifted it, and it starts with this step four. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Who would like to share on this last paragraph on 64? Katie S. Katie, okay, Katie I didn't hear. I just heard Katie, but the ones before, I didn't hear. So Tina S. Tina S., I believe I heard. Sarah W. Sarah W. Monica. Melissa, Melissa C. Monica and Melissa C. Maybe one more? Okay, it, that may be exactly what we need. KG, go right ahead. Hi, Rebecca, can you hear me? I do hear Rebecca? you, KG. Okay, perfect. I hear you. Sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> Thank you. Okay. Good morning, everyone. KG, recovered compulsive reader, anorexic, and bulimic, and um, you know, resentment will kill me. You know, guys, I had a sponsor teach me once the connection between eating and resentment. And what she taught me is that 
and I try and say this as much as possible, is that when I'm resentful, first of all, it's a spiritual axiom that when I'm angry, it's about the other, it's not about the other person. Excuse me, I got that wrong. It's about me. It's all about me because it's my faulty perception, right? And, you know, the other thing is that resentment will kill me, and here's how it does. So I hate you in the morning. I put you down in my head. I start gossiping about you. And by the end of the day, my hatred is so intense that I need relief. And the only free, the only relief I've ever known is food or exercise or bulimia. So food, exercise, and bulimia become a step up from how I feel. And I loved what the previous speaker said because um, for a long time, I was like, oh, I'm not angry. Oh, I've been taught not to, I'm not resentful. I, there's no way. And I had to tell you guys, there is not one day and I'm in a recovered state of mind and body that I don't judge someone internally and that I can't catch myself. And I catch myself on step 10 or step 11 because a judgment is a resentment. It is to, to, ju to, to see someone's behavior, and you're unmuted, I can hear you, to find them guilty and to hate them because of it. You know, and, and what I found through this process, um, you know, what we're talking about here is the various forms of self that resentment that my anger affects. And, you know, I don't ever look at my part. I look at my thinking. I look at how I am wrong, my selfishness, that I want people to have my point of view, my dishonesty, that I'm not okay unless you do this, that, I, that if I had what you had, I, Katie Gia, would not feel the way I feel, right? I wouldn't have my problems if you didn't treat me this way. I am the perpetual victim. And this is hard work. This is a new language. So if you're new on this line and you're like, I don't even understand what ambition is or sex relations or whatever, just know that <clears throat> I am a scared little girl, right? I am a scared little girl. And because of that fear and feeling less than, I constantly look for ways that people are doing me wrong, right? And from there, that fear makes me angry because you're not doing what I think I need you to do. And today, you guys, I know that I have a God who loves me. He hears all my crazy thinking, but he loves me anyway. And thank God for this process to show me, because when I'm wrong, I have a chance, because me and God, we can do right. And with that, I do pass one more day at a time, guys. Thank you, Katie G. Tina S. Thanks, Rebecca. Tina S. Compulsive Eater, Anorexic in Florida. Wow. Great stuff this morning. Heard a lot of really good things. Uh, yeah, also, resentment's the number one offender. You know, and uh, it destroys more alcoholics than anything else. Now, this is the deal. And uh, in the next couple sentences, and this I did not like at all, it said, when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. I wanted all the other stuff to straighten out first, and then maybe I'd work on the spiritual stuff. Well, that's not my experience, and that is not the direction, you know. And, and you know, there's work to be done, because we put this stuff on paper. You know, I wanted to think about it in my head. I wanted to ponder it. I wanted to maybe talk to you a little bit about them. But it says, you know, in dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. You know, a lot of times in the big book, it talks about the black and the white. You know, I need to read the black on the white. And, you know, and follow the instructions. And, you know, and I'm totally undisciplined. So I had to have somebody set these out for me and, you know, follow their instruction. And the gift is phenomenal. 
you know, the gift is phenomenal. And, you know, and it just tells us what it tells us all the time in this book, you know, the problem centers in my mind, in me, you know. And, um, and I'm mad at you because you affect me, you know, uh, and that's just the bottom line. If you didn't affect me, I wouldn't have a thought about you. And, uh, you know, today the good news is, and I love what was shared because I'm all about the spiritual axiom that when I'm disturbed, you know, there's something wrong right here. And, and the good news is when I can remember that, I have an opportunity to get out of self, to be more selfless, and to be of service to others. And therefore, I'm not thinking all about me. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you. Tina S. Sarah W. Good morning, Rebecca. This is Sarah W. Thank you for your service. Grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, I wanted to uh, go back to the idea of what the fourth step is is for. It's really, for me, it's all about courage. And I know for myself uh, and many of the people that I've sponsored, the reason that holds me back is that if you find out about me, then I'll know how bad I really am because you'll show me that it's true. You know, that self-loathing and that shame, you know, that should have already mastered everything. You know, because that's what I always thought. If I was perfect, I could be lovable, but without that, I'm nothing. And I think for me, um, it, it goes back to um, this, is, this is the beginning of the way I'm going to have to live my life the rest of my life, being introspective without being um, abusive to myself. And that's why it's so important to find the right people to do the work with that are going to be encouraging um, that are going to be accepting. And, you know, the, the process allows us to come to a place where we feel like we're part of instead of apart from. And I think, uh, for me, I always felt apart from. I was never enough. Um, uh, I never felt like I did enough. I was enough. I could think enough. I, You know, I just uh, had no confidence in myself, so much self-loathing. And, and I was thinking about the, the beautiful story, Freedom from Bondage. And um, which is an absolutely exquisite story, and it's so much about the resentment. And if you haven't read it, it's a wonderful uh, story to read. Uh, but you know, freedom from bondage is really what the what the fourth step allows us to have. We we have freedom from bondage of self. And I think um, you know, in continuing, um, you know, I had family here for my grandson's graduation, and there was a lot of emotions, and it was a beautiful experience, but. You know, that's what I could never deal with is emotions. You know, my emotions, whether they be happy or sad, what to do with them. And um, at times, because of uh, relationships with certain people, I started feeling some of my defects of character come out. And it doesn't take me long to where I realize that I need to do something with it because something starts to happen in me especially when I haven't had a lot of contact with people or I haven't taken the time spiritually to take care of myself. So that proves to me that, you know, I have to continually work this program, that I can't take a vacation, that um, I do it imperfectly, but I really, um, I know that this is where I need to be and that I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for the fact that I'm a compulsive overreader. It brought me to myself, my higher power, and back to you. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you. Sarah W. Monica, is it T? Yes, it is. 
Good morning, Rebecca. Thank you. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. So here we are in the chapter, How It Works, and now we're being given explicit directions here, very simple directions of how I am going to start my fourth step inventory, my fact-finding, fact-facing process, not my judging or beating myself up process here. And number one, resentment. Well, what are you talking about? I'm not a resentful person. I'm not an angry person. That's what I said. (laughs) Well, so then my very wise sponsor said to me, okay, Monica, let's look at some other words that might help you with this area. So other words like hurt or resentful or irritated or offended or aggravated or pissed off, you know? Can you can you identify with those? Oh yeah, there's a lot of people out there that irritate me, that that offended me, that insulted me. Oh, okay, yeah, I can relate to that. So she said, okay, the first thing you're going to do is in dealing with resentment. So what are these resentments? Resentment means to relive, refeel, replay something in my head. It could be something that happened a minute ago. It could be something that happened 60 years ago. But these things were still popping up, you know. This is the spiritual sickness in me. This is all the stuff that made me feel antsy, that made me feel uneasy, that I ate over. I didn't have any idea what any of this stuff was. So now I'm going to start finding out. So it says you're going to deal, we're going to, in dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. We listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. For me, who irritated you, Monica? Who annoyed you? Who made you sore? You made you impatient? You know, burned you up, pissed you off. These are the people you're going to put on your list. So I was told, take pen to paper, like it said here, black on white, and start in prayer, writing down your list. And it's all done under prayer. And you, Monica, are the secretary. And God's going to give you the names, the principles, and the institutions that you need to have on this list. So this was the first part. And I thought, okay, I can do this, you know, because I was really nervous about all this writing and four-step business here. I said, okay, I can do this. She said, okay, that's all I want you to do right now. And then we're going to go back and do the causes and then go back and do the effects. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica T. Melissa C. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive over here in New York. And, um, you know, when I think about resentment, um, yeah, I was really justified, or so I thought. You know, I wasn't resentful. Um, don't you know what people did to me? Don't you know how unfair life was to me? And I felt um, that I was right, you know, and that's, um, that's really what I needed to, to let go of. It didn't matter if I was right. You know, resentment, um, whether I'm justified in it or not, you know, whether I have a point, you know, whether someone really hurt me or life was truly unfair, I was killing myself because I was hanging on to it. You know, it happened already. It was it already passed. It was experienced. And I was the one who was 
holding on and reliving it over and over again. And um, and I couldn't will it away. You know, I couldn't say, okay, now I'm done being resentful. And, you know, thank you, I'll stop. Um, this is really where I needed a, a great transformation to come in. Um, you know, and something that, um, you know, was brought to my attention was that my resentments are really wrapped up in expectations. You know, I'm resentful when I expect something to happen or people to behave in a certain way uh, according to my script. And no matter how great I think a script writer I am, I'm not in charge of writing the script. And so whenever I have expectations for people, things that are outside of my control, uh, I'm setting myself up for resentment. You know, I need to let God be God and Melissa be Melissa, and it didn't matter if I'm right or wrong. You know, my resentments, I thought that they would comfort me. You know, I, I would kind of hang on to the list of ways that life was unfair, and I would pull it out, you know, when I didn't want to do certain things, when I didn't want to show up for certain events. I could list a million things that you didn't do for me, and now I'm justified in not doing my part. And, um, you know, so it, it's the releasing of expectations of allowing God to um, write the show and me to play my part. Thank you, and that'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. This is Rebecca Aspen with the few minutes left. I think I'll take a turn. And I'm from Connecticut, a recovered compulsive overeater, and so grateful to be here on the line with all of you today. Um, I have some notes in the margins of my book about this paragraph that I'd like to share, and one is that where it says, from all, from its stem, all forms of spiritual disease. I was told that that word disease is the only place in the book where that word disease is written. And um, I also have written on the side, what burns me up? At the end of the paragraph, it says we were burned up. So what burns me up? Uh, What lives rent-free in my head? What do I wish was different? And if I can look at it just like a shopkeeper taking inventory and kind of um, take the charge out of it, you know, it's just the facts, ma'am, the facts, you know. I'm not, I don't have to get all caught up in uh, feeling bad that a piece of merchandise is no longer saleable. It just, it is what it is. And so, um whatever is burning me up, I don't have to get all caught up in uh, any kind of attachment to how bad I am for it no longer being worthwhile. I just have to notice it just like a shopkeeper because, you know, that's what it says in the book to do. And I think the idea behind that is to sort of remove my emotion from the whole thing and just take an honest look. Um, And what a relief to know that by following these instructions, I can um, have a spiritual malady overcome and straighten out mentally and physically. I was so broken and so consumed with 
the thoughts that kept repeating in my head every morning when I woke up and every night when I went to bed, taking, you know, rent-free, taking up space in my head, that I was not being the full self that God would have me be. I was suffering from a spiritual disease, a spiritual malady, and by setting all these things on paper and just following the instructions as written in the big book, I was restored. I was straightened out mentally and physically. And if it could happen to me, it could happen to you. And there's really no threatening thing about it because it's all coming from what's already in our heads anyway. And the idea is to free ourselves, have God remove these problems from us rather than let them continue to burn us up. So I will pass and it is time to come to a close. And so we do that by first, um, I want to thank you, all of you who shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Martha Z. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Good morning, my friends in recovery. This is Martha Z. I am a recovered compulsive overeater from near Philadelphia, by the grace of God. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.